starting out, it was just really important to me um, that my daughter not feel, even though we, you know, it's hard because we sort of were, but I didn't want her to feel like we were singling her out, you know? <laughs> um, so that was really the impetus um, as we got into treatment because she was getting her treatment and we too were in family therapy, but my husband and I were often not on the same page about what was happening with her, what was happening between us, what we would, what we thought we should be doing about it, what the professionals thought we should be doing about it. And it was identified fairly early on by everyone who was working with us. Like you guys are not, you know, doing well together as a dyad, you know, as our, our marriage was not doing well in the light of her uh, struggling and she was struggling severely. She was, you know, speaking openly about not wanting to be alive. And of course, these are very traumatic things for parents and everyone in a family and we weren't handling it well. So that was the impetus for the two of us to get into treatment and try to, uh, you know, find common ground about what was happening, or at least if we couldn't actually find common ground, <laughs> you know, try to present as the parents who were trying to help our child to her present as a united front, because our ultimate goal was, of course, the same, which was to help our daughter. So, you know, we did have the same goal. We just weren't necessarily in line about how we were trying to get there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I am your host, Robin Tamanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Tracy Yokos. Tracy creates stuff. When she isn't writing about mental health and wellness, she can be found playing with paint, glitter, and glue. Art fuels her passion for connection in the community. A former entertainment industry professional, she has an affinity for color-coded art supplies. She is the author of the book, Bloodlines, a memoir of self-harm and healing generational trauma, which is coming out in 2024. Tracy shares about her family's journey with mental illness so others will know that they are not alone and that hope is real. She earned her master's degree in counseling psychology from California Lutheran University and lives in Newberry Park, California with her family, cats and fish. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on. I'm, I'm so excited um, to have you on. I know we chatted a little bit ago about this. So I'm glad we're able to do the recording and um, talk about a bunch of things. So I know, um, you know, initially when we kind of touched base, we were talking about just the experience of uh, couples therapy, but not just couples therapy, couples therapy within the realm of like the perspective of the parents and also, you know, what it's like for um, parents and them having a child that is maybe living with a, a mental health diagnosis. So could you share like a little bit about your experience with that? And we'll kind of like delve deeper because I have a lot of questions. Sure. Absolutely. I'd love to. I love every opportunity I get to talk about this stuff because um, luckily I'm very happy to be able to say that my daughter totally understands my passion for destigmatizing all conversations about uh, mental health, but particularly parents talking about their child's mental health diagnosis, because that in and of itself has an, uh, its own sort of stigma 
um, you know, parents saying anything about their kids and especially as a writer also. So I write about our experiences. You know, I've received a fair amount of blowback for what people consider, you know, outing my kid, which on one hand, I totally understand. But on the other hand, look, we cannot continue to live in silence like this because the silence is what kills. Health includes our heads. It includes our brains. It includes how we think about things, especially if the way we think about things is suboptimal and those thoughts are hurting us. So yes, when my daughter was 13, she got diagnosed with an eating disorder and soon thereafter, um, she also received the additional diagnosis of severe depression. This came only weeks after the sudden death of my mother with whom she was close, um, but, but it wasn't clear starting out like if, if the death you know, was really a trigger or not or whatever, and it took a long time to figure out that it was. Um, but regardless, you know, three weeks after my mother's death, uh, my daughter woke up one day and she, you know, wasn't that hungry anymore. And soon that spiraled into not really wanting to eat at all. And, um, you know, not having proper nutrition affects us uh, regardless of whatever else might be going on. So it was a real um, struggle with the eating starting out, which um, several months later transitioned into self-harm. Um, in a variety of ways. So that is what was really the, um, the D-Day, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, and given, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a therapist and I do this podcast, but I'm all about, you know, decreasing, you know, stigma and really openly talking about things, right? And I think you bring up a, a really interesting point in like, you know, the parent's perspective, you know, and talking about, you know, their child's mental health or mental illness when really, I mean, I'm marriage and family therapist. That's like my background. So I know the impact of the family system and of understandably, like everyone's going to be affected, um, you know, in, including the parents, you know, and I think when I think back to, you know, when I used to do a ton of family therapy, I would always include the family because that was also part of it. And everyone's going to be affected by it in different ways. And how can we come together? Um, how did that lead to couples therapy? Well, that's an excellent question. And I just want to reiterate that I agree completely. You know, I'm not a therapist, but I do have my master's degree in counseling psychology and I'm a system person too. I like, we don't grow up, you know, we aren't families in a void. We're families together in an environment. And so we're constantly playing off one another and starting out, it was just really important to me um, that my daughter not feel, even though we, you know, it's hard because we sort of were, but I didn't want her to feel like we were singling her out, you know? <laughs> um, so that was really the impetus um, as we got into treatment because she was getting her treatment and we too were in family therapy, but my husband and I were often not on the same page about what was happening with her, what was happening between us, what we would, what we thought we should be doing about it, what the professionals thought we should be doing about it. And it was identified fairly early on by everyone who was working with us. Like you guys are not, you know, doing well together as a dyad, you know, as our, our marriage was not doing well in the light of her uh, struggling and she was struggling severely. She was, you know, speaking openly about not wanting to be alive. And of course, these are very traumatic things for parents and everyone in a family and we weren't handling it well. 
So that was the impetus for the two of us to get into treatment and try to, uh, you know, find common ground about what was happening, or at least if we couldn't actually find common ground, <laughs> you know, try to present as the parents who were trying to help our child to her present as a united front, because our ultimate goal was, of course, the same, which was to help our daughter. So, you know, we did have the same goal. We just weren't necessarily in line about how we were trying to get there. Yeah. And I, I love that you explain it that way, because, you know, and for the listeners, too, I think when um, people think couples therapy, they think maybe specific things like infidelity or all those, you know, other types of struggles, which is true, but there are also so many other um, reasons to go to couples therapy, which can be super helpful, right? Um, even it's if it's for coming together or figuring out how to navigate this together, uh, given what's happened with the child. Um, so being that we're both like systems perspective here, I'm curious, um, you know, if you'd be open to sharing, like, you know, we're all, when I think of attachment to a lot, or I think about like, you know, within the family perspective, like parents, grandparents, that kind of stuff. So how, how did your parents handle mental health and was it similar? Was it different or what did it kind of, or what did you, I guess, pick up on, you know? I really appreciate you asking that question because, um, as you mentioned, that's partly why I'm writing my book, right? Because we learn how to be from the minute we're born into our family. So before we even have enough wherewithal to understand what we're learning, we've already learned it. We've already learned everything that's going on in our family. We just don't have the mental capacity as babies to understand that. But by, by the time we start having language, we've already learned, you know, how we're going to communicate, what we're going to say, what things are, are okay to say, what things aren't, you know, whatever. And I happened when I was two, my parents, I was supposed to have a sister and my mother was eight months pregnant and the baby was stillborn. So it was never discussed ever. Most of the time, I didn't even remember I was supposed to have a sister because I guess that's how they handled things back then. You know, it was better just to not talk about it. Just move on, you know, get over it. There's nothing you can do. So the unresolved trauma and grief that was playing itself out within my family, there was only the three of us that I didn't know or understand. I was two, like I said, I didn't even remember 99.9% .9 of the time that I was supposed to have a sister. Um, but it was the beginning of the end of my parents' marriage, even though they didn't actually get divorced for 20 more years. Um, it just played into every aspect of our lives and was never discussed. So my mother was depressed. My father was depressed. They exhibited those symptoms in different ways. My mother was very withdrawn, which I took as a child to be about myself because that's what kids do, right? So I took blame for that. My father was over invested in me because, you know, I didn't have a sibling and things weren't going well in the marriage. So he was over, you know, connected to me. So there was that whole situation going on. And none of this was ever discussed until, you know, I was an adult. And even then, I mean, my parents were both, by the time I actually had enough knowledge to start really having thoughts and conscious understanding of what was going on, they were both dead. So it was too late to even be able to go back and try to unpack some of that with them. 
And these things, so the point of all of that is to say that because all of this was unconscious, it was unconscious with my daughter too. I was raising her the way I was raised. And we talked about things that we talked about and we didn't talk about things that we didn't talk about because if you don't know the difference, you don't know what it is you're not talking about, if that makes sense. So you're just repeating the patterns you learn because this is how you learn. So I wasn't talking about things that maybe needed to be talked about with my daughter because I didn't, I didn't know. I wasn't conscious to those things early on. So a lot of the, you know, uh, and, and relative to the specifics of my daughter's illnesses, especially an eating disorder, I have struggled my entire life with my weight and eating and eating too much and using food to numb and all of these things, which I was fully aware of because I, my mom and my pediatrician put me on a diet when I was 11. So I've been on a diet at the time my daughter was born for 20 years, basically. And, um, you know, reacted by wanting to do the opposite with my daughter. So like not talking about things, like not wanting to make her body, you know, the focus of every conversation, because I had known what that had done to me as a kid growing up. So insecure about who I was. And the only thing that was, that mattered was how I looked and becoming an overachiever as a way to, you know, striving for that perfectionism as a way to control that discomfort. And, you know, if I can do my job perfectly, or if I can get straight A's, you know, which I was never able to achieve, but I tried, you know, these things then ameliorate some of that pain and suffering, but we don't, again, it's about not consciously understanding what's going on and we're just behaving, you know, how we behave. <clears throat> so, um, you know, so those things with my daughter, you know, I may have handled something oppositely, but it actually was, that's not making a conscious choice. That's just reacting in the opposite, which is also suboptimal. So, you know, all of this though, none of that started becoming conscious to me until after her diagnosis and until going through treatment and she was in treatment. I was in my own individual therapy. Like we were saying, my husband and I were in therapy you know, there was a lot of therapy <laughs> and still is, you know, for a lot of years, there was a lot of therapy trying to um, support her and ourselves, you know, to create healthier dynamics with, within the family. And I'm happy to say 10 years later, certainly it's not uh, perfect, but we have made, you know, amazing um, strides. And my daughter still struggles sometimes. She's 23 now, soon to be 24. And it's not like she just woke up one day and was cured. Right. So these are managing ourselves and uh, moving in healthier directions for all of us is sort of not a one and done. Right. We have to continuously work on it. Yeah. And using multiple modalities, which is, I mean, so helpful. Thankfully, you know, there's couples, there's families, there's individual. Right. Um, even groups for some. So using all the resources, which is definitely sounds like you did. And I think that's huge coming from, you know, the the messages and kind of what you picked up on growing up, you know, then there's this moment, right. Where your daughter receives a diagnosis. And sometimes I, I always tell people like, it's a, it's, it's tough, but it's also like an opportunity. How am I going to respond to this? And it sounds like for you, you, you did something different than what you were raised to do, which I think is huge. Was there, 
was it, what motivated, is it because oh, this is my daughter? So I'm going to, you know, do this or was there, you know, what kind of helped like that change process for you? Well, and the, this, I, I appreciate you pointing that out because it's true, but I also want to make clear it didn't happen right away. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a, it was definitely a process. So it was a process of us trying at first to be like, yeah, I mean, we all have problems, but you know, we're going to get her an individual therapy. This is going to help her. Everything will go back to normal, you know, and every next step that didn't happen. And in fact, she got sicker instead of better. So, uh, it became, you know, I was going to fix this problem. I was going to learn enough because that's what I do. You know, I'm going to learn enough. I'm going to figure out how to fix this. And as we plotted on through day after day after day, and then, you know, she was able to go to school and then she wasn't, you know, individual therapy wasn't enough. So we did an outpatient program after school six days a week. And then that wasn't enough. So she had to get pulled out of school and then she started self-harming severely. And we became terrified that even if she wasn't trying to kill herself on purpose, it might happen by accident. Um, I was finding, you know, not to get overly dramatic, but I was finding her blood all over the place. I mean, it was a very terrifying, stressful, and anyone who's listening, I just want you to know you're not alone. If this is happening in your household, I can guarantee you for 100% sure, as terrified and as alone as you feel, you aren't. Um, but for for my purposes and the growth that I was experiencing, um, we had gone all the way to residential treatment um, you know, with her trying to get the help that she needed. And we ended up, you know, in the emergency room in the middle of the night one night. And it was one of those rock bottom moments for me, one of those, you know, lost night of the souls or whatever they call it, where I just had to, I was forced through the magnitude of my suffering at being unable to help her get well, that all that was left to me at that moment was acceptance of accepting the situation for what it was. That doesn't mean giving up. It means I'd been fighting against reality so hard for so long and it wasn't working that I was stripped bare and there was nothing left but accepting the reality. Then it took several more months for me. We were actually in, she was in a different residential facility than the first one. We were doing a group therapy exercise where we were all doing this thing called a whole person wheel it was very, all very innocent. And it has like, you know, it's split into six. I've seen different versions of it, but it's like, it's your spiritual life, your physical life, your mental health, you know, when you look at it and we all had our, you know, crappy uh, broken crayons and we were supposed to color in each part of the wheel, like how from zero to a hundred percent, how we felt like we were, uh, I forget how they presented it, but like, you know, how we were coming along in those aspects of our life. So our spiritual life, you know, whatever. And so this was my, my daughter was sick. Everything was failing. I was failing. That's how I felt. I felt response, you know, all these things. So my wheel was mostly white, right? I was honest and I didn't color it in because I'm like, if I were doing better, if I were better, if I were a better person, all that bullshit we do to ourselves, um, this, you know, wouldn't be happening. And so I colored my wheel in accordingly. Then they didn't tell us we were going to have to go around and say all of our stuff out loud, parents and kids. So everybody starts going around the room talking about their wheel, you know, and they're like, oh no, I'm like 80%, 90% and this, this, and this. And, you know, maybe they had one 
or two where they felt they could do more work. But I was like the only person whose wheel was mostly white. And then I look over and my daughter's was like the same as mine. And that was by far the moment where I said, if I don't figure out how to take care of myself, I will never be able to show her by my actions how she can take care of herself. And subsequent to that, this is going back many years ago. I mean, that happened like back in 2013. So subsequent to that, what I have learned is that in addition to that, taking personal responsibility for ourselves, doing our work is how we do not, even if it's innocent, and most of the time it is, it's not always, but in our families, most of the time it's innocent, but that is how we learn not to harm the people we most love. And so it's been a very, it's not, I'm not trying to tell everybody it's easy. It is not. Doing the work is hard. You know, learning how to communicate in a different way is freaking hard. When you learn before you had words, how to communicate, changing those patterns, it feels impossible and it takes a long time and it takes a lot of work, but I am living proof through in my own mind. And that's really all that matters. I'm living proof in my own mind that change is possible. And I mean, my relationship with my daughter is better than it's ever been. My relationship, you know, with my husband, communication is better. My relationships with my friends. I had used to have trouble maintaining friendships, even everything has changed um, from understanding the work that I wanted to do to become the person I wanted to be. And that that was, that was really the only gift I could offer. The only way I could help her was to become the person I truly wanted to be to show her that it's possible. She has her own journey. I can't, I'm not in control of that which was very, and still is sometimes, it was a very painful lesson to learn because we're parents. We love our children more than anything on this earth. And I would take her diagnosis, I would take you know, her symptoms and everything on myself in a second if I could, but I can't. So the only thing I could do was to help myself, which in a way sounds selfish. I mean, that's a core belief I uncovered, you know, that I'm a very selfish person, um, but actually taking care of ourselves is the ultimate gift to the people we love. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I like, um, and going back to what you said too, in the beginning that you, you mentioned acceptance, right? And I like how you said, it's not like, it's not that things are right or wrong or shouldn't, should be, uh, you know, a certain way. And when you describe the, um, the six different like components of the group, how did you, it reminds me of ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, which I use a lot. And we talk about acceptance and like kind of even like what happened during the pandemic, like this is happening. So this is occurring. I'm acknowledging that this is actually happening. That's the acceptance. And now that I know that, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Am I going to respond differently or the same as usual? We know the same as usual kind of where that road goes, but you know, how can I maybe respond differently so that the outcome is more towards what I'd like it to be or this relationship to be or where I would you know like to be within this whole struggle and it sounds like sounds like they might have done some act stuff which is like really really cool and empowering and very like um, 
I feel like it's really like action oriented too, in a way. So that's wonderful. Yeah. 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 And you know, people, it's still, so people think of the word surrender, you know, which is sort of an acronym in this, you know, situation and it's, or a synonym, I guess it's, um, you know, it doesn't mean you agree. It doesn't mean you're happy about it. I mean, all it means is that you accept what's happening and it sounds so simple, but it's so hard. It's not. It's (laughs) It's hard. Very hard. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, it doesn't mean you're giving up. It doesn't mean anything other than, but what I've discovered is when you're so busy fighting against it, there's no room for anything else. Physically, literally, emotionally, spiritually, you're too, every bit of you is wrapped up in the fighting against it. So there's no space, you know, to afford the even thought process to begin to figure out what your other choice might be. You've got to stop fighting against everything to even have a moment where you can say, okay, maybe I have to think about this in a different way. And, you know, not fighting against it is a step in opening up that space. Yeah. I love that. Well, is there anything (laughs) I didn't bring up or I didn't ask about that you want the listeners to know? Well, gosh, I mean, oh, I could, you know, I could sit here for 10 days talking about all the stuff, but I mean, you know, getting back to couples, I guess I do want to just say, you know, that that was a really important component for us. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, I hate to, you know, reduce things to like it worked or it didn't work because that's such an oversimplification related to really complex issues. Um, You know, but I have to say that I think especially at the beginning stages, if you're someone listening and you have you and your spouse or your significant other um, are having a, a child that's struggling, having both of you either together or individually get into your own therapy. I really, if it's in any way affordable, manageable, you know, there's clinics that have sliding scales. I mean, it's just so critical because you are going to come, every human being is going to look at it from their own perspective because that's what we don't have another one. We can't take the, are the goggles of our life off. It's how we were raised. So getting into therapy is how you begin to see other perspectives, get ideas about other ways of handling things. And yes, maybe have to hear some difficult things about how what you might be doing isn't you know optimal to helping the situation. But um, in all the teaching I've done, I've done a lot of volunteer work and teaching for NAMI. And I think that, that not only is there the pain and suffering of seeing someone you love so much hurting, but then no, not being on the same page about what to do, the family's in chaos. That affects everyone in the household. If there's other siblings, I mean, every, everyone, the pets, everyone's in disarray. And so, you know, formulating a plan that works for your family is as individual as the family is. So, you know, everyone getting help they need so that they can feel seen and feel heard, feel accepted, you know, is an important step in the process of coming to grips with how the whole family is going to move forward without anyone being left behind. So I think, you know, it's never going to be perfect. Nothing is. Um, But I would say that couples was an important part of both of us waking up to, you know, the fact that we had our own struggles that were going on in addition to what was obvious about what was happening. 
Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do is um, thanks for, you know, mentioning all those, including NAMI. NAMI is wonderful. So I'll put some resources too in the show notes so people can click on it. Um, I know one of the things I've heard um, in, and I understand too, just on my end of, you know, being in the system is it's kind of challenging to navigate sometimes oh, where to go and all that. So I'll put some links in the show notes, including NAMI. NAMI's, you know, wonderful. Um, and maybe some different like organizations on different ranges of fees and stuff, because yeah. there is a lot of different options when it comes to sliding scale versus insurance versus like private pay and groups and free and all that. Um, so I'll put some of that in the show notes. Um, if the listeners want to find out more about you, is there anywhere they can go, website, certain social media handles? Or- Absolutely. Uh, my website is tracyyokuscreates.com. So it's just my name, um, which I'm sure will be in your show notes, but it's T-R-A-C-E-Y-Y-O-K-A-S, tracyyokuscreates.com. And uh, my preferred social media, because of the art and stuff I do just for fun, is um, Instagram. So I'm on there a lot. And it's just my name at Tracy Yokus. I'm easy to find. So, and I love, I'm very open to receiving questions. Um, People can email me through my website. So if anyone wants to know more about, you know, or, or just ask me anything about our experiences or whatever, we're pretty much an open book over here and I can be emailed through my website. Cool. I'll put those links in the show notes, the direct links that way everyone can easily click on it. Um, Well, thanks for doing this. I'm excited about your book. Thank you. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I love books. So super excited. I definitely want to read it when it comes out. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was fun and super informative and helpful and hopeful too for the listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guest are listed in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram at openmindnightpod. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.